Curiosity. What are you so curious about? Everything. Mr. Curiosity. All righty, folks, you got me, Mr. Curiosity. Joe Snedeker here. And, uh, you know, this week, I'm not going to hide it. I'm excited. I'll even say I'm a little nervous because we have a big shot here. <laughs> I saw. <laughs> now, if you're not watching and only listening, oh, great podcast listening audience, uh, you're, you're in for half the treat because I want to watch. I want you to watch and listen, right? But hey, listen's just as fine. You fold the socks and listen to this, this rock icon. So I'm here with Randy Gregg. Now, do you like Randall or Randy? Uh, Randall is my full name, but everyone calls me Randy. So Randy. All right. Now, I, if, if I can just take up 20 seconds of your time with this story to see how we hooked up right now, why we're together and why I know the audience is going to love this. All right. So I've been a big Queen fan my whole life. As all, I'm 55 years old. Who's not, you know, from our generation? Very true. <laughs> so uh, Queen broke up. Of course, Freddie Mercury passed away decades ago. And then I had this chance uh, based on rave reviews to see this band called Almost Queen. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I don't know. I'll give it a try. And um, so I went to the Stone Pony in Asbury Park. Right. And I waited. And there were, it was like a scene from a movie. Everyone was talking about you guys, how great you are. It was sold out. The anticipation builds. I'm like three back from the front row. People are hooting and hollering and waiting. And then all of a sudden, you guys appear. And it was not like seeing Queen. It was, in my opinion, better than Queen. Oh, no. Now, I know maybe Queen fans are going to be offended by that. But let's face it. Those guys are now older and some of them not even intact on planet Earth. So this is the next best thing. And now I follow you guys all over the place and I come and see you every time there is a show. So you are the bassist for Almost Queen. I am, yes. And, and once I did a quick Wikipedia check on you, I found out so much about you. I mean, you've been in bands, incarnations of the bands that I've admired since I was a teenager. So we, gotta, so we got to start with your life. Where are you born? Where are you from? Tell me about yourself. Sure. I was born in Far Rockaway, Queens. How appropriate that I was born in Queens. Yeah, right. Uh, and I jumped around the New York area in Manhattan, some Long Island stuff. So kind of been based out of that area my whole life. And uh, I started pretty young in sixth grade. I was singing in a band, seventh grade playing guitar, eighth grade playing bass and uh, just stuck with bass for years. And I had a, uh, you know, I had an original act that put out two uh, two records and, uh, you know, caused a little hubbub, but not enough. And then around that time is when I wound up getting, uh, around that time is when I got a call to play an angel, which was, yeah, whoa, 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 wait, you're going too fast. Mike. I'm already impressed by your life. So when you're a kid, when you're like 10, 12, 15, yeah. what are you into? What are you listening to? What kind of, what kind of a guy are you? What are you okay. doing in high school? Are you, are you killing it in trigonometry? You're very right. I should rewind. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I just like the details. That's why I'm was, curious. When I was five years old, this is pretty big in my life, I guess. When I was five years old, uh, there was a neighbor just around the corner that I would go up and just have a screen to his bedroom window right at the front of the house. And he would just play records. Sometimes I would go in and just play records, play records, play records. And I'm just this kid that stopped by. And one day he plays Tie Your Mother Down. By <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute! You happen to you happen to just hit my top three favorite Queen songs right there. Okay, <laughs> by your mother down. So see how well, it's all working. There's a synergy happening here. Right. So right, right. So that's the first thing I've ever heard by Queen. I'm five years old, and uh, no, I recall it, but maybe 
I don't recall full details, but I do remember him looking at me and going, oh, you like this? <laughs> I guess my face dropped or whatever. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, okay, hold on. Switches up, puts on Bohemian Rhapsody. And I believe the words I said was, I want to do that. Oh. And 30 plus years later, I'm in a Queen tribute band. So, you know, as always, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so so, you were how old at that time? When I was you five started? years old and my, my kindergarten, I was really proud of it. Yeah, I wish no I one plays Queen music at five years old. I mean, that, that, that seems... I'm yeah. listening to Humpty Dumpty, you know, and stuff like that. You're listening. I started on yeah. um, dueling banjos. That's what I started on, you know. Uh, dueling. You remember that song, Dave? That's like band. isn't that like a Dan Fogelberg or something? I forget. I, who I can't recall who it was, but like I was like into theater when I was a kid, listening to Man of La Mancha with my mom, and just you know being brought. And I think that's what the thing was. I was a little attracted to theater. My mom and I would always. I, I was. I was very. Uh, theater-esque in, in school. I was always right. in plays and stuff like that. So that lent a little to my draw to Queen as well. But when I heard that, uh, there was a, a kindergarten workbook that I had, and I had just drawn the Queen logo all over this book, like 85 times <laughs> or whatever. And I just wish I still had the book because I was just so into Queen in kindergarten. Oh, and it, man, that is going by, by, Yeah, by second grade. I'm into Kiss now, of course, and like, you know, third grade Kiss and now the Beatles and it just starts to now expand. But I always had Queen in my back pocket. And uh, it's a little odd because I, uh, if you ask me who my favorite band is, my favorite band in the whole world is Cheap Trick. Um, if you ask me, that's my favorite band in the whole world, my whole life, you know. Oh, and, uh, but if you ask me who the best band is, um, I think Queen is the most reachable band, you know, to everybody. And they provide so much, so much so much dynamic in their music that it reaches the masses and stuff. So I just think that they're the, the ultimate band, my favorite band, chief trick. I think the four musicians you put in a room and you want to make explode is Led Zeppelin. So those are my three that I feel in different categories of, but it's just odd to have been introduced to queen kind of first and then go through life sorting out the rest of the stuff only to come back later and go, wow, queen was, I started with this. Yeah. 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 They turn out to be like, what I feel is like the best, you know, musically, yeah, vocally, dynamics. Well, you're right, because I have, um, I have, I'm, a, I'm an educator, so yeah. I have teenagers that I teach, plus I know a lot of younger people. What other band could, uh, besides maybe the Beatles and Queen, attract in an, in an enthusiastic way teenagers, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and of course now people in their 60s, 70s who grew up with Queen. So right. they span the entire gamut of listening audience yep. and i don't i can't think of any other band that does that maybe maybe the beatles and 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 queen and who else i, I mean it's it's tough I mean, isn't it yeah i mean led zeppelin spans but they span the rock world and rock world right right and there's the rolling stones you know that they put in their time and you know obviously and you know there's all these big hitters but then there's these worldly bands like the beatles and queen and stuff like that and again i think it's dynamics right you have a band like led zeppelin and, you know, their range of, of songwriting is, is fantastic, right? And you have the Rolling Stones and they have a style and you have the Ramones and they have a style and you have all these bands that have a style of music and they stay within that style where Queen had four very different writers and every member in Queen has a top 10 hit. And that says a lot about a band. So back in the day when you wanted to start a band, it was, hey, Phil down the block plays guitar and Jimmy, you know, across town he plays drums and that's how bands got together and played 
So there was no influence going on on these individuals. It was, let's get in a band and play. I have this song, I have this song, I have this song. Decades later, it breaks down. Well, I'm into this and this. So what, what, what bands wind up doing is incorporating people who are just so like-minded that they produce one style of music. Where yeah, very back well in the day with the Beatles, you didn't have, it was just John brought this, Paul brought this, George brought that. And that's what became dynamic. And people cut out the dynamics because they thought being more like-minded would help a band. But meanwhile, it's the opposite, right? You, you, you want someone like John Deacon in your band who's going to write Another One Bites the Dust <laughs> and You're My Best Friend. You see, like, that dynamic is just totally different from what Brian brought. Very good point. I, love it. I need John. to hear this from a musician. Very good point. It, 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 is, it is the truth. It is. But I'm still point. mad at John Deacon for Hot Space, okay? I'm never going to forgive him for that. That's all. You know, it's, it's crazy because, like, you know, <laughs> it is crazy when, when you play in bands and you realize... <laughs> You know, like you, you, you realize a, a band's catalog and this and that and what they bring. And, and it's always this argument. Right. And, and everyone can argue it. Right. First three albums come out and you're like, oh, this band is great. And then that fourth album comes out and it's different. And everyone goes, oh, wait. Right. But then there's the opposite side. If they would have done the same thing, everyone goes, oh, it's the same thing. Right. So you have to have this career where you can spend a dozen records, at least to have a hot space and to have this. You're right. Good. When it's all said and done, you know, Hot Space brought us under pressure, right? You know, so that was, and that's one of the biggest songs we play every night. Everybody just, and everybody. Everybody just everybody collapses, likes right? So there's this dynamic, right? Like, same thing with like a band like Judas Priest, right? Um, I used to play a very like, streamlined crowd. You go to one of their shows, it's going to be all 55 to 75 year old guys. <laughs> pretty much right but like and they're a heavy metal band right but in yeah. the 80s they come out with a song called turbo lover okay and yes 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 just opposite of what they did it had a little keyboard in it and people started to wonder is judas priest going to become this like you know not what Judas? oh priest i see here, right. here it is wait a second you're not banging out the heavy metal that i wanted right and and that song got a bad reaction and uh i, I played with a guitar player who's in judas priest right now so we're there and I, I watched the show and i even asked him i go like out of all the stuff, like what song gets like a great reaction and then he goes turbo lover. Turbo, like, unbelievable. Hey, because of dynamics. Now, now after 40 years of Judas Priest, they have so much different music that, you know, kind of attracts different people. And, you know, and that's where Queen comes in. All, our whole career, 17 years with almost Queen, there's always been an eight-year-old and an 80-year-old. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. And now there's multiple eight-year-olds and multiple 80-year-olds, you know? So it's always been a little range. It's just, you know, over the last couple of years with the movie, obviously, that, that range has, has gotten stronger. And yeah, it, they just last the decades. Awesome point. Awesome points. I'm, I'm educated from your discussion there. So I'm yeah. no longer going to be angry at Hot Space. It's just a point of view that I wound up discovering playing with all these bands that I was playing in. Like I'm jumping into bands that played 20, 30 years ago. Right. So I'm, you know, the, the bands that we'll discuss and stuff like that. And I just, you know, looking at their career from an outside point of view, you kind of understand things after it's. Yeah. Recent. And not only that, but you, you musicians are very creative. So you don't want to do the same thing over and over. You want to explore your creativity and push that, the boundaries. And that leads you into stuff that not all the fans are going to like. Right. Every musician who starts out in a band has that in mind. End of story. They want to create music. That's it. And they want to create as much as they can. And, you know, some can and some stay in a, like a little ballpark that they're in and their wheelhouse. And that's that's cool. I mean, the Ramones, you know, ACDC, you know, people will argue that that's just a style they have. I mean, I'll listen to ACDC all day long and I'll definitely listen to the Ramones all day long. The Ramones, look what they did. And they're 
being blamed for starting punk rock and look at what it did. You know what I mean? So, you know, every, every band has a, has a job and, 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 you know, and something to bring. So when you were, uh, when you were like punching through high school about to start your adult career, 17, 18, 19, what were you doing? Were you a musician at the time or do you? Yeah. In fact, I was in high school and I was, I was in a band that, that played around a lot and was playing some pretty big clubs at the time. So in high school, it was very strange. I, you know, you'd find me in 11th grade, like sunglasses on, sleeping on the desk at all times because <laughs> I was just out gigging all the time, you know. Is that right? It was, it was in my head that in high school, I think this is where I was going. Seventh grade was a big turning point for me personally. Uh, I was very into theater and I was very starting to get into guitar now. And uh, I had to make a choice in school, which am I going to take a theater course or am I going to take a guitar course? And my theater director was devastated when I told him I was taking guitar. So that was my choice. So, so early teens, that turning, I'm just all into rock and, you know, of course and stuff. And, you know, during the eighties, I was definitely into the stuff that was going on during that time. Um, I'm not such a big eighties fan. I know I look at, but I'm, I'm just a big, big seventies, all genres from ABBA to every, you know, like everyone. I don't think anyone could have a valid point against saying the 70s is when it all happened. Because all you had punk, you had the beginnings of metal, you had classic rock, which was just beginning. You had singer-songwriters like Jackson Brown, you had disco, you had everything. Disco, the 70s is never going to be I mean, there again. Think about easy listening, right? ABBA and the Carpenters, right? And this yeah. is all stuff that we listen to in the car these days, you know, like, I mean, I yeah, drive the crew yeah. around and stuff and we just, we'll do a yacht rock playlist. And then we'll oh, I love yacht rock. rock. I love yacht rock. Right. And then we go to <laughs> funk and we do that. And I like, and it is true. I say to everyone, not only did you have every genre in the seventies, they're at the height. Yes. At the height. Disco yeah. is at the height. Rock is at the height. Easy listening is at the height. Everyone is at their height. Yes. Uh, the recording industry alone, audio wise, like using tape and analog recordings is at the height. Everything is at the height. The, 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 the Did fandom. you feel it though at the time? Did you feel it? Did you know this is, this is, you don't know it when you're in it. Well, so I was born in 69. So, you know, I, I, I was there in the seventies, but not, I wish I was born a little younger or whatever, but I kind of, you know, started to recognize it come late eighties into the nineties. That's when I started to really realize, wait a second, the seventies was really when everything happened. And I appreciated the eighties very much. Um, as you know, unfortunately, people who don't know it was a fun time, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a late sixties born. I was born in the late sixties too. So we're the same generation. Okay, right, right. Seventies, I felt it all. I felt the cars coming on, new wave, blondie. It's yeah. all coming at me. And I'm thinking, you when you're a kid and you just grow up with that, you just think, Yeah, this is it. This, this is, is it. This is the way it is, right? Yeah, but this that's is the way not it, it is. You you know it was the way it was Yes, for everybody else. It's not like they're growing up in a different generation. So like the different generation, this is what crazy, crazy. So you and I know that we'd get a record and we'd sit in our bedroom and we'd put it on the thing and we'd lay right, on the floor right. and we would read every single word on that thing while the record's on reading lyrics. And we just absorb this music. Some of us would put our speakers on the floor and lay down and try to make quasi headphones to try because we were just so it was a new record. And this is what you did now. You tell a kid about, you know, the Beatles and in 22 minutes, they've seen their whole career on YouTube. 
And it's just like, where's the magic? You know what I mean? The magic's, magic's gone. Stolen. It's gone. It is gone. We, we, we would maybe you subscribe to maybe a newsletter from the band. And then sure. once a month, you get a picture of the band. It's like, ah, oh, is that what they look like? Because sometimes you need them and see them on the album cover. Right. And or you go to a store and you see them in a magazine. Right. So, like, I remember becoming a Kiss fan, obviously. I was a big Kiss fan when I was younger. I'm certainly not anymore. But uh, I'm going to say, I think they're overrated. Overrated, I, very I, overrated. I've become a Kiss hater, and people <laughs> look at me and they, they go, "You must love Kiss," and I cannot yeah. tell you how much I hate Kiss and what they've done. You know what they did in the past was great. If they would have left it alone, I would have loved them. But to drain your fans for a longer amount of time than your actual career, like I, you know, I just I gave up on Kiss. They don't have anything to offer anymore. They don't put out music. They just kind of just taking everyone's money. They but anyway, Shark I, and they jumped the Shark and they sold out. Very much. While they jumped the shark while selling out. Well, I'm curious. Yes, exactly. They did both at the same time. If an alien spaceship came to the earth and they knew of the great European music from the 60s and 70s, like the Who, the Rolling Stones, the Led Zeppelin, etc. And then they said to us Americans, what did you have from that time period that you can put up against Led Zeppelin, the Who, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones? I'm curious of your answer because I have mine and I'm curious to get your opinion on mine because of course we had Springsteen and the Eagles and Tom Petty, but that's more like laid back. It's not rock that you would put up against those artists. When I I bring up 1969 and how important that year was, it's pretty crazy that in that year we saw the formation of Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath and the Stooges, right? Iggy Pop and the Stooges. Yes. And here you have, I mean, we, we know that in the 70s, um, Led Zeppelin got the tag heavy metal, right? Right. Yeah. That's how they were reviewed. But as the smoke settles, we know they weren't. And they were like the kings of rock, really, right? right. And the kings of heavy metal were Black Sabbath. And the godfathers of punk were the Stooges. Yes. And in that one year alone, you had three genres born. End of story, right? Uh, like, uh, especially in the rock world, right? Uh, in the 60s, there's definitely rock. But Led Zeppelin really cemented rock for people, you know? So that year was just utterly important. And I just wish that there was a town somewhere, maybe the States that if you had a kid, you can go live there and <laughs> that kid could be raised as if you were being raised in the seventies. Right. Cause today I just think it's, 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 it's almost a shame that you don't really get to experience what we experienced. I'm talking down to like, but getting out on your bicycle at 10 in the morning and not coming home until the lampposts come on. You know what I mean? This was our you know life. I mean? That feeling of free just, range parenting. I know right. that's what you done. You drove around the neighborhood and to find the kids, you didn't call them or text them. You, you saw the house that had all the bicycles and you're yeah. like, that's where they are. You know, and it was just a different time. And, and 20 kids all within reach. Yes. Yeah. There was no play dates. Not Mom can drive me here. It was none of that. And it was just a really, you know, good time to, um, you know, kind of prepare yourself for life as well. But are you evading my question? So we need three rock bands to compete against those because I have my three. I want to see your face. Um, This is great, heavier rock and roll. All the Americans can do to put up against those guys are we can do Aerosmith and we can do Blue Oyster Cult and we can do Van Halen. Do you agree with those three? um, I would throw in Cheap Trick. I'm with you. But I don't. The most underrated rock band ever. And every band that you mentioned, loves Cheap Trick. I mean, if it wasn't for Cheap Trick, Aerosmith would not be back together today. I don't know if you know that story. 
I'm going to put Cheap Trick on the list, although I didn't think they were as they were more poppy. That's why I didn't want to put them on that list. But yeah, yeah they're, they're definitely they're, on there. I mean, I, and I love I'm, Cheap Trick. I love them. Yeah. I love them. I mean, I, I know every note of every song of every album of every demo and everything and oh okay that big and to me they're, they're the most broad band and it's due to robin zander and the way he sings where you have all these great great vocalists who do what they do and then you have robin zander who takes a sad song and he sings sad and he takes an angry song and he sings angry and he takes a moody song and he sings moody and he he like it's like a, uh, an actor in a way that he uses his voice to come across for the song. And this is the only person that I really know who does this in a band. And you're like, I've turned thousands of people onto Cheap Trick. And, I'm, and, and all I have to say is, okay, listen to how Robin sings here. Okay, here's another song. Listen to how he sings here. Listen, and then everyone just goes, oh my God, he uses like an instrument, you know? So to me, Cheap Trick is the world's greatest secret. All right. Well, you don't have to convince me. I love them. I've seen them many times, but they go against your original formula, which you mentioned 10 minutes ago, where it's, very similar songwriting for all of those years. They didn't really. They're not. When their first album came out, produced by Jack Douglas, there was a there was a war in between record labels about who's going to sign Cheap Trick because Jack Douglas stepped up and said these guys are great. Jack Douglas does the first record. The first record comes out and it's just this set list of, of different songs that when 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 people go to review it, everyone says the same thing. We don't know who Cheap Trick is. They're all over the place. Are they punk rock? Are they pop? Are they this? Are they rock? And like yeah. people were confused by Cheap Trick. They didn't know how to take them. And after the smoke settles, you see bands that like, you know, you see like, um, you know, all these different genres of music, like, you know, grunge coming out going, we love Absolutely. Cheap Trick. Right. And you got like, you know, like uh, alternative bands coming out going, we love Cheap Trick. So like there's bits in Cheap Trick that started you know, other bands and stuff like that. So Absolutely. they are unsung heroes, those guys. Yeah. But they don't have a hot space. They didn't experiment too much. Well, that's arguable. <laughs> a couple. I remember in the last 10, 15 years, a couple. Everyone has one that, oh, I don't like this one. <laughs> uh, a band that I would put up that I always thought was like a super group without having, uh, without any member being known to begin, is a band called Jellyfish that came out in the late, late, late 80s. I have both Jellyfish recordings. I love Jellyfish. They are. A person, I think. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> what? But I don't know if you can put, I mean, I love them, but I'm not going to, all I'm saying is to put up against those three greats, Zeppelin, Stones, The Who. It's got to be for this. I can't, put, I can't put anyone up against Led Zeppelin. Oh, okay. All right. I can't. And you have uh, the best drummer in the world. You have the best bass player in the whole entire world. You have one of the greatest singers, one of the greatest guitar player producers. And these guys are in the same band, you know? Yeah, all right. And, when it comes down to Zeppelin, there's there's no argument in my world at all. Okay. That band, that band is 100% for me. Excellent. So now I'm looking at your past. So you're 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 in the late 70s, 80s. You're you're now I know these are different incarnations of the band, but I remember being in high school drawing on my notebooks the Angel logo because uh, backwards and frontwards it was the same thing, right? Or upside down, however that worked. <laughs> I, I was never a big fan of theirs, but I do know a lot of their material. So you were in an incarnation of Angel, Thin Lizzy, and D. Snyder's band, correct? Like uh, when I say incarnation, I, I'm saying because the original band then correct. morphed over the years, correct? correct. Yes. Could you tell us a little bit about you know that the Angel years, the Thin Lizzy stuff, and all? And yeah, all yeah sure. Uh, I was in uh, my original band was called Garlic, and we were in studio recording, and the <coughs> manager who. Was, Garlic's uh, a good name, by the way. Yeah, 
We called our first album Stinks. <laughs> so that way no one can rank on us. See, no one has self-deprecating albums anymore. Did you notice exactly. that? No, right. they don't. They take themselves too seriously. I love it. So through <laughs> conversations with Garlic in the studio, the manager we had overheard and had gone up to Boston and, and kind of found Frank Domino from Angel. And, you know, what are you doing? Oh, we're actually working on an album. So they put out an they were working on an album already. And this manager helped put, put this record out. So it consists of uh, Frank Domino, the vocalist, and Barry Brandt, the drummer. And they have a guitar player and a bass player. So they put their record out. And about a month later, I get a message from them from the manager going, Hey, uh, would you, would you want to play some angel songs? And I'm like, like, I know the whole catalog. I know this band really, really, really okay. well. I love this band to be honest. Right. And, uh, I'm like, yeah, of course. So I go to try out and I literally walked in and got the gig. They immediately called me punky junior, which was kind of cool. I got the hair and whatever. So I was a really great fit. That was really fun for me to play angel songs. I loved that band and my whole life I discovered and, found out that every time if I mentioned Angel, you either love them or you have no idea who they are. Yeah, 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 you're right, right, right. Kiss fans know of them, you know, and this and that, but like, um, I mean, Angel, <laughs> Angel's a band that is like the perfect discography, right? Their first album is kind of like progressive rock. Their next album is like rock progressive. Their next album is rock. The next album is pop rock. And their next album is pop. And you see this transformation of this band. And within every album, it's just a good song is a good song. I don't care what band you are, what label you have on, a good song's a good song. And Angel just had good songs that just got really overlooked by people. So I was excited to get in, play. They knew how excited I was. I was the one writing the set lists. We got to do this. We got to do that. So I was very eager to play in that band. They saw it. We got along really, really well. So we, we played with them for, I played with them for a little, for a few years on and off. Um, and then a couple of years after I joined that, I wound up getting a call to play with. Um, D. Snyder, who's um, doing what's called the SMFs, right? And if you know Twisted Sister, there was a song called SMF, and it meant sick mother something. Yeah, right, 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 right. So this now, the is thing his. with D. Snyder's, I got to tell you this before you just uh, go on, because I'm curious to take your impersonation of this. Now, um, and when I was in high school and all that was blown up, the hair metal and D. Snyder type bands, Twisted Sister, right. to me, it was laughable. They weren't, they weren't real rock, in my opinion, at the time. It was more, you know, the uh, 12-year-old kid down the road with the squirt gun is listening to Twisted Sister. I'm better than that. That's at the time, I'm saying. But now, when you get older, you realize that was just me being a teenage snob. And then, and you then realize- I've seen D in interviews, and he's a brilliant, funny, well-read guy. So now I have a new person impression of D okay. Snyder. I love him. All right, here's an answer for you, right? Uh, <laughs> I grew up not knowing that Twisted Sister owned the clubs, they owned them. When they played clubs, they blew them out. They were the band that every label was talking about. They steamrolled people in the 70s. This well, is they were this, hot at the time though, but it was they were, they were a monster. They were actually like a real monster band. They played great and entertained great and stuff. And then at the turn of the 80s, when their albums are coming out and stuff like right. that, MTV comes along. So oh. how, do you not, how do you not play along? Right. So uh, but you know, they're still. They had all these years to become this really great, great, powerful group. Now, I'm going to admit at the time in the 80s, I wasn't listening to Twisted Sister. You know, I didn't hate them or anything. I just I just didn't have their albums and stuff. And over the years, you just rediscover stuff and rediscover stuff. And by the time I got the call for D, I, I kind of knew about all their stuff. But uh, to play with D was fantastic. And it turned out that uh, even at that age, he really influenced me as to uh, how to 
command an audience. And I'm watching this guy speak to an audience. And every night he's saying something different and he's just rolling off the top of his head. He's a very smart guy. He's oh, I know guy. that. I know that. Very, and charismatic. Very charismatic, very entertaining. And he brings it every night. He sings fantastic. He just <laughs> entertains fantastic. And it's just, it, it's just being steamrolled, you know, and, uh, you know, it just taught me a little things so, like open my, my, my eyes a little bit like, wow, that's great. Like Freddie Mercury gets on a stage, he commands an audience. Dee Snyder gets on a stage, he commands an audience. You know, there's a difference. You could speak to the crowd or you can get them to scream with you, you know, and that's what, what Dee did. He got people up and energy and stuff. So just fantastic playing with Dee. I was playing with AJ Perro at the time. who's was just what, an underrated drummer as what well. What does a guy like Dee like do every day? What, like what's he doing nine to five? Is he, is uh, he, <laughs> I know over the years he's had like podcasts and he does like oh, okay. really knowledgeable about music and married all kids, all that. Oh, he's been married to Suzette since the beginning. And See, I love it. this stuff, right? So that's Ooh, all just, a, it's an act. It's a, you know, that's what turns you off though. When you, when you try to be a music highbrow and that's my problem, right? You, you know, you see the bones and the Satan stuff and you know, it's a gimmick, but you, you think, you know, stop. Yep. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that, but you have to do, you have to have a gimmick too, I guess. Everyone has a gimmick. Yeah. Even, so even the Beatles had a gimmick. They all dressed in suits, right? Right. Or, you got to look like a band. We're going to put you in these suits. That's yeah. that's a look, right? And Kiss, you got to be in these studs and leather and stuff. That's a look, right? And then you got Motley Crue. That's a look. Even in the grunge bands. I'm so sorry to go against the grunge people here, but you not shaving and not showering and putting on a thermal. Going with is, the look. It's that a, is your look. You can pretend saying, that's your normal day, but it's not. Right. It's no, but this is an anti-look. No, I mean, everyone in the world starts doing it. It's a look, right? And that's the genre, and that's a fashion, and that's part of the 90s, and that's how it goes. So that's why I like the 80s. Everyone showered in the 80s. Uh, <laughs> so so when when the two greatest uh songs that everybody knows by Thin Lizzy, of course, uh Boys Are Back in Town and Jailbreak. Sure. Yeah. You gotta like those two. But when Phil Lynott dies. I didn't know Thin Lizzy got back at all. That, that must have been when you uh, stepped in or no? Am no, I yeah. correct in that? Phil died, I think, uh, 86 maybe or something like that. Okay. Um, and uh, I think it was uh, about almost 10 years later, Scott Gorham got together with like Brian Downey and um, John Sykes and started to do like a, you know, a revival of Thin Lizzy and stuff. Right. And I wound up joining in like 2003. And I lasted like two years with them. We did. Uh, that had to be cool. Uh, it was known uh, in that Thin Lizzy world that I probably like Thin Lizzy more than the three guys put together on stage. <laughs> it was not even a joke. Like, I love Thin Lizzy. Every fan who ever came to the show and I spoke to, they would say that you like love Thin Lizzy, right? And I'm like, yeah, we could tell you're smile. I'm like, of course, listen to these songs. Like, and, and America didn't know Thin Lizzy. They just didn't know Thin Lizzy. Except, yeah, except for a couple couple hits, right? A couple songs here and there and stuff like that. And it's always like, oh, that Boys Are Back in Town guy. Yeah, I know. Okay. Sad, right? Yeah. Sad. But when you pick up, like, Johnny the Fox, <laughs> like, I'm done with, you know, those, those records and Jailbreak and Fighting. And, I mean, it, it, it just, the whole career. And these guys, uh, you know. Whiskey in a Jar, Cowboy Song. I mean, come on. These are great. It, it's endless. Endless, right? And and let's talk about the guitar players that were in mm. Right. And I mean, Eric Bell and they have uh, Brian Robertson and Scott Gorham, the first real true dual guitar, like, you know, guitar combo. Right. Throwing Gary Moore. 
you know i mean even snowy and john sykes and it's just like it like this is a band that just produces unbelievable guitar players and stuff so in the um, musician world thin lizzie's huge in the everyday you know radio world people in america don't know it but when you go elsewhere people know thin lizzie and absolutely and i'll throw them in with blue oyster cult everyone knows blue oyster cult from godzilla and don't fear the right. reaper but every right. one of their albums has deep thoughtful great awesome songs that are absolutely. very uh well written yep. and well absolutely. lyric i love them right. all right so then uh with, with almost queen i want to show you something i have right here this is speaking of my childhood and maybe yours too so i'm like 14 15 years old and i come home with this thing Right. Now, so I think I got it in like Ames or Kmart or something back. And right. then I open it up and you know what's inside if you got lucky enough. Inside. Yeah, sure. So here's a poster inside here of of maybe 50 women on bicycles naked. And right. I'm 14 years old. There's no internet. There's maybe the Sears catalog. There was nothing better for me than this thing. And my mother could never find it because the poster goes back in the album. Right. It was the greatest thing ever. Now, I don't know if that influenced me, but this is without a doubt my favorite Queen album. How do you feel about that? Because I know jazz has lovers and haters, but this is my, maybe my best album of all time. I'm so sorry to be so biased, but there's not much Queen I do not like. And like and you there said, was, there, was a time, there was a time that I listened to Hot Space every day for months. Get out of here. I'm not I even joking. I'm not even joking. I grew up on Sheer Heart Attack for like a couple, two decades almost. And awesome. In my like mid 20s or so, I started to realize Queen 2 is that's the one. So that, that kind of, it still runs a race with Sheer Heart Attack for me. Um, but one of my favorite Queen records is Innuendo. And that was really one of my buddies tried to force me into that. And I tried, but I just couldn't warm up to it. I mean, I remember when it came out. I'm still a diehard Queen fan, you know. Uh, Queen in the States lost a lot of fans come the turn of the 80s, right? I know that, right, right. They didn't know it's a the disco thing and, oh, he's gay. And I'm sitting here 10 years old listening to, you know, the first side of the game going, what does this, what does any of that matter? I just don't, it just didn't affect me. Oh, he's gay. I'm not going to listen to him. That's makes your no sense. It makes no sense. It makes no sense, right? So I was always a Queen fan for the <laughs> Probably I became more of a Queen fan. I'm in high school coming home every day watching the magic years <laughs> every day on video, every day and live aid every day on every just day. every day. I just can't stop watching Queen. So by the time 90, 91 come uh, innuendo, I'm just geared for this record and it comes out. I think it was like two weeks late or just a couple weeks later, Friday had passed. But that album, as soon as I put it on, I was just done. I, I just so I love basically everything Queen does. I just do nothing special then from this one. You love uh, it, but you think it's a little overproduced, I bet, right? That's well, what the only thing that I that is in my mind is this is for everybody else, a little turn in Queen's world coming out of the big rock albums. Yes, like, right. Now we're going into a little bit more dynamic stuff, right? Mustafa, like what it what? What you know, is that? I usually really I bad. used to in my past, I used to just go right past that. Now I appreciate it for being oh. awkwardly great. It's just it's up and down. <laughs> I mean, you have don't stop me now on there, which Brian didn't want to really play. I, why? Right? Uh, he felt he was, the band was okay with Fred, like being who he was. Right. Brian felt, hey man, I think don't stop me now. You're pushing it on people. What? Too, too, too poppy, too, 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 too coming out of the closet, if you will. Oh, okay. Too, this is me, right? Mr. Yeah. Farron, you know, um, 
don't stop me now. It was a cry from Freddie. Oh, I see. All right. Brian thought that that would turn people off. So he wasn't in favor of that song. Years later, look at it. It's a it's an anthem now for, you know, the whole LGBT, you know, community and stuff yep. like that, which it is, you know, and you have I Want to Break Free, which was not even written by Freddie. It was written by John, you know. And then if you go to Innuendo, this song's like These Are the Days of Our Lives, which is, I don't know if you know that, but it just talks about their whole career and stuff like that. And everyone thinks Freddie wrote it, Roger wrote it. The show must go on. You know that song? The show must uh, go the on. The show must go on. I know that. Yes. Yep. So uh, that was written by Brian for Freddie. So like, you know, here's a band that's like well, writing for everyone. And when I looked into the all the songs that the band members wrote over all the albums, I was very surprised because if it sounds like a Brian May song, I thought this is going to be a rock type anthem. It's not always the case. I would have not predicted a lot of Deacon songs are rock anthems. I mean, it like Spread Your Wings is a great song. I never thought Dink Deacon would have written that one. It doesn't make sense to me. When I tell people that he wrote the number one song, they're like, Bites what? the Dust. Bites the Dust was yeah. number one here, right? I mean, Bohemian didn't even hit number one. Crazy. I mean, it's gotten more ever. But then you turn around and like the big one, I think, is You're My Best Friend. Right. That's on the rock station. It's on the easy listening station. Yeah, 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 yes, yes, yes. People's wedding song. You know yes. what I mean? Like it reaches people. And this guy, wrote some pretty dynamic things. Yeah, whatever, you're right. You know? Grandmothers can like that song and rock hardcores can like that song. Absolutely. For everybody. Deacon, amazing. Uh, John Deacon to me was was a little of the secret weapon in that band. I mean, Freddie was the, was the big guns, I think, you know, yeah. but like, Deacon was the secret weapon, no doubt. So through your 20s and 30s, you're in you're in, in these bands, different incarnations of them. How does it evolve to this steady? I imagine, I'm, I'm being ignorant, maybe assuming this, that Almost Queen now is your longest gig, correct or incorrect? Yeah, that, um, yes. For How sure. does that happen? How does that evolve? You know, it's, it's, it's very odd, right? I was in, um, you know, I have in my head what I'm going to do in life, right? We all yeah. have that. And uh, I get into Angel, and then I get into D. Snyder, and then I get into Thin Lizzy, and now I'm doing arena tours. I open up for Deep Purple. I'm like, this is just do, 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 right? And then I literally am coming out of Thin Lizzy, and this booking agent who was working with Almost Queen calls me and goes, hey, do you want to play in a Queen band? And, like, I, I couldn't shut up. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, wait, you know, like, I'm supposed to be in these other bands and doing this, but. I joined this Queen tribute band because I love Queen. I want to play those songs, of course. So I'm he had asked you that because he knew you were a Queen enthusiast. Do you think that's why he you were? I the think person? so. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, uh, you know, here I am. Like, you know, if you see my website, I just want to do cool things, right? So I joined this Queen tribute band, and uh, you know, it starts out and we think we're pretty good, and then four years later, we look back and we're like, that wasn't good. We're good now, you know. And then four more years pass, and we're like. What were we doing back then? And, you know, and just keeps escalating. And now we're at a band that's been 17 years now. And that's uh, unbelievable. It's just so great. The, so you don't have a, it's almost, and don't be insulted by this. It's almost like the monkeys. You guys weren't friends who said, let's start playing queen songs. You were put together, correct? Put together. Right. So we were, um, so uh, the original bass player of this band started the queen band. He recognized uh, through a friend that uh, to, to me, he met Joe and realized Joe could sing and play piano and he loved Queen. Joe, so, Freddie Mercury. Joe, Joe, Joseph is our Freddie Mercury. Yeah. And uh, so that was kind of what spawned the idea was this original bass player 
said, hey, that guy could be Freddie. So he got two of his friends, uh, our original guitar player's name is Tom. Was Joe waiting to be Freddie or someone kind of said you no, should fact, do Freddie? No, in fact, Joe had just come off all these like uh, like uh, theater tours that he was doing. Uh, he's an actor, like doing plays and stuff and touring plays. So he's not like a rock band singer, nightclubs or anything? He like is. He, he used to play bass and play and like uh, do like Beatles covers and stuff. Oh, okay. so very, very Paul McCartney. Gotcha. So he'd sing and play bass and stuff. But his but he whole life, he wasn't thinking, I'm I'm, I'm going to be Freddie Mercury. He, that wasn't I don't think so. I don't think so. And, and you got to think also, Joe grew up in a very musical family. His, his dad plays multiple instruments and sings. His mom uh, was in The Angels. People know that band for My Boyfriend's Back. But there's a, a, a song that she sang, I think uh, it's called I Wish. And that was okay. a big hit. So like he grew up. Like he was four or five years old getting up on stage. Oh, that's pretty cool. With his, with, well, he has a uh, fraternal twin brother. So they both grew up in a world of like music. And playing oh, man, and that's like cool. That. So he'd always played piano growing up and stuff. And it's funny that fraternal twins, his brother, Anthony, is the lead singer in a, in a U2 tribute band called Unforgettable Fire. I and he's like spit out of bottles. Get out of like, here. So what? it's like you got Freddie brother and then like Bono. <laughs> Crazy, crazy. We've done shows together. It just goes over great. It's really, really fun. And stuff oh, that like is that. awesome. Joe grew up around that. So he tinkered on piano his whole life and stuff. And upon meeting the original bass player, Joe has hair down to his waist. He was just in hair. The, 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 okay, the, right, the, the bride, bride. So yeah, he's got hair down to his waist. And they get together and they start playing some Queen songs. And Joe cuts all his hair off and starts to grow a mustache. And that's how it kind of was born. So John, our drummer, was in the original lineup here um and then within a couple months um i wound up replacing the bass player and then after about a year or two we replaced our guitar player with steve who's been in it now for 15 years or whatever and steve was another one who came in i was going out on tour with like iron maiden and stuff and i needed a bass player and joe knew steve so steve would come in and play bass for me and then I'd come back and then he would sub on guitar for our guitar play. So Steve was playing bass <laughs> one show, guitar another show. So it was just really easy to decide when the time came that Steve would be our guitar player, you know, and he just plays fantastic and so great. Randy, I feel like I can just keep going on and on and on with you and sure. pick your brain. This is great. So do you have any good rock stories to tell all these people you've met, all these big names, these big artists? Not that you're not, but does anything stick out? Like, you got to believe this and you can't believe that. I mean, I don't know. You, uh, they're mean, jerk. you, you don't want to throw anyone under the bus. Like, you open up for a band that were total jerks or, you know. You, well, I, play yeah, with yes. I play with people in my own band that were total jerks. <laughs> <laughs> and we all know that. but. Um, I'll tell you, like, uh, things that blew me away, uh, I got that call for that Lauren Harris band. And, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't know where it was going to go and stuff. And I was interested. I was like, yeah, OK, I'll, I'll play. And they're, they're based in England. Yeah. And uh, while I'm learning about it, it's the, well, the daughter, the, this girl, Lauren Harris, her father is Steve Harris from Iron Maiden. And I'm like, OK, um, you know, and we get together and we start to play little clubs and do little things. And uh, I'm introduced to the guitar player, Richie Faulkner and the drummer, Tommy McWilliams. And he's recorded this album. So we're going to go out and we're going to play this. And months later, it starts turning into this and starts turning into this and starts turning. Now we're on festival tours with Iron Maiden and then we're playing there for months. And then all of a sudden, Steve looks at us, Steve Harris goes, you're coming out with us. And now we're on the Iron Maiden tour. And that, 
I'm like, just didn't think that that's where it would have led. I didn't get into it thinking that that's where it was going to go. I just thought, you know, cool, I'm just doing this and I can jump in and do that and, you know, see where I go. So uh, that kind of blew me away to befriend Steve Harris to like such an incredible point, you know, that like I have a bedroom in his house. (laughs) I live there. Like I live there. Right. And I think the moment for me, I'm just going to get right to it, was that I played Madison Square Garden opening up for Iron Maiden. And as a musician, that's the goal. Oh, man. That's the goal. So my friends and family are there that day. My parents are there. And, uh, you know, uh, over your life, when you um, when you have like a little stupid memory and you think people don't remember that little stupid memory, right? And I never brought it up, but I'm sitting backstage at the garden and I look down, my mom goes, she's like, wow. She goes, I remember the day you showed me the lyrics to The Trooper by Iron Maiden. And this is a memory I had in my head that I never thought my mom I was 15 going, you got to read these lyrics. I mean, they're great lyrics. And I was really into Iron Maiden at the time and stuff like that. And I just thought she looked at it and went, oh, yeah, okay. But I guess it's stuck in her head because now she's sitting backstage at the garden. And she says to me, I remember when you showed me the lyrics to the trooper. Look at you now. That was it. My mom told me that. That was it. That was the moment of my life. Like playing the garden. How much more proud can my mom and dad be? You know. So yeah. So to have yeah to have that message transferred to you from her. So she is proud of her son. The message complete. The universe won. It's all happening. Yeah. And a week later, I remember a friend from high school reached out to me and wrote, "Look at what you wrote in my yearbook." And she sends me a photo, and I wrote. I'll see you at Madison Square Garden. Oh, man. <laughs> because look at what you did. Look at what you, and I'm like, you know, so there's like, I mean, playing in the garden, it's the dream, you know? So like, you know, but I didn't know I'd play Earl's Court. And I didn't know I would play Budokan. And I didn't know I'd play festivals with 380,000 people. I just didn't know, you know, and just escalated. And then we're on Iron Maiden's plane, right? That's going yeah. on in the world. Come on. Twice, twice. I love it. 31A, that was my seat. You could tell my seat because when you got on, there was a purple hue around the window because I would always dye my hair purple. <laughs> so is, 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 is the rock star life cliche or is it like the real deal? I mean, is it you you Give me the real deal. It's what you want it to be, right? So there are people who, you know. You seem very that. grounded, smart, sane. You seem very uh, 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 thick with knowledge and experience. I, I, I know I, I look like the guy who is raring to go out every night and jump on tables and kick. Yeah. Like, I know I look like that, but I'm really kind of reserved and I'm in the back. And most of the time I'm listening to work, like how it works, production, how it works and booking, how it works. And I've collected over the years. I mean, our, our booking, uh, our tour manager left in the middle of the thin Lizzie tour and I'm the low man on the totem pole and they dropped the tour manager in my lap. So for a couple of weeks, I'm tour managing. Oh, thin man. Lizzie. And even John Sykes is like, I knew you could. Like, I'm that guy who just, I get in a band and, you know, I just, I'm able to do this and I'm able to do that. And over the years, I've just learned so much and so much. And I would go, you know, like, it, it's great when you're on tour with Iron Maiden, right? But how many times can I go to front of house and watch Iron Maiden play? So I would dip into the production office. And I remember the first time I walked in, I just sat down and six people looked at me and I just, and they just smiled and they knew. Take it in. I, you know, the next night they're like, hey, Randy, can you do this? I'm, yeah, okay, all right. And then, hey, how do you do that? And how do you do that? 
And then I got the head carpenter running and looking, going, Randy, you have a brain, come out. So now I'm working the show for Iron Maiden. <laughs> Big Eddie, I'm, I'm, I'm walking them out, I'm doing this. And I'm even helping the crowd, uh, the, the crew load stuff up at the end of the night because I was a stagehand for nine years. So I worked at a, a record store for 10 years. Like I know every like little aspect of the music. And I just always shut up and listened. And that's why I tour manage and manage almost clean. I just kind of, you know. It's, it's all like, I, you know, I mean, we're a band and we decide and we do it, but I'm, I'm kind of, I have the reins. So I, you're I, the manager, uh, so to speak, quote unquote, of the band. Almost. No, I am the manager. Oh, okay. Not all right. There it is. The manager. Right. I was trying to be nice. <laughs> I don't want to put anyone yeah. off. Well, what I mean is it is a band. It is a band. Everyone's with your involved. attributes come humility. Yeah. And I just, you know, it just made sense if I knew how it all worked and, you know, to, to have someone within the band doing it is the safest so do you feel, here's what I've been wrestling with in my head for the last few years, as I go to see a lot of tribute bands, uh, there, there's no denying there's some minuscule level of, of, of uh, is it cheesiness? Is it fraud? There's something there that I don't want to admit, but here's, he, here's the conclusion I came to. Right. I am into the art not the artist. I hope you're not offended by that. And by that, I mean, I like music. Right. You can see like most guys my age, my album collection, my Spotify playlist. I, music is my life. I don't play in a musical instrument, but I absorb it from the um, artists like you. But I don't really have an interest in many instances of the artist. I want my ears want to be happy. So whoever's doing it, whether it's you or John Dakin, it doesn't matter to me. Does right. that make sense? Um, it does make sense. It does make sense. You know, there is, uh, you know, another side to it, where is it, you know, some people think, oh, well, you're not John Deacon. You're this guy. So I don't want to see it. Right. So there's that side as well. I don't there get is that, that side. side. There are these people like, oh, there's only one queen. We, we know that. That's why we called it almost queen. We'll <laughs> never, ever be that band. We will never be that band. But what we are is a recreation for the people who have never seen that before. And that was our thought process immediately. Let's recreate that. I mean, this is 17 years ago. There are tribute bands around, but, you know, not as many as today. Right. So we're still trying to set the precedence here how to come across. And at least you were on the cutting edge of tribute bands, right? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. We were at the end of the start of all the tribute bands, if you will. You know, there was a couple big ones when we started and stuff, but not like it is today. And the one thing that we had in our corner that we felt strongly about was that we're not portraying a band that you can go see today, right? Okay, and that's the biggest point. Freddie's not here, you can't see that, right? Bon Jovi's here, I don't wanna play in a Bon Jovi, right? Motley Crue is here, I don't wanna play in a Motley Crue band, right? Def Leppard's here, I don't wanna play in a Def Leppard band, right? And that's cool that tribute bands do that, but we have something over those bands and nothing about talent and this and that, we have the fact that you can't go see Queen. Now, I mean, you can go see Brian and Roger and Adam Lambert now and stuff like that, but years ago you couldn't, right? And uh, so we were just trying to recreate for people what they missed or the people who did see it come chance back and come like relive it again. And that was our frame of mind at all times. And let's focus mainly on the, the recordings of, of like the record recordings, not the live recordings, how they did it. We wanted to do all the harmonies. That was our main goal. We need to do all of the harmonies. And it was grueling for us. You know, a lot of, 
like not only four part harmonies. There's sometimes we're involved in six part harmonies where four guys. But it I don't sounds great. Guys. It sounds awesome. We cross over and we do certain tricks to, you know, get all of the vocal capacity that we can and stuff like that. But after a few years, we've, we've locked in on vocals. We're very proud of it. People come up to us all the time and go, you like play the studio versions. And we know that there's a live version we can play that's maybe a little bit simpler for right. vocals and this and that. But, you know, our thing is if people, people are not, people are not on, in their car listening to live Queen. They're listening to the radio and they're hearing these songs on the radio. And we need to do those the way they hear them on the radio. And that was our first and foremost. And next, it was trying to look like everyone. And that's that's the part. Do you feel that's necessary? That's you know, uh, I feel that it implies it, 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 it's a big it's a big deal when you're at the show and you're in the crowd. Right. No. Yes. All right. That's, so that's now, where the cheesiness enters. And I don't mean cheesy in a negative way. I, I really I, don't. I'll, 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 I'll totally hit that. I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. Um, like there's a band. All right. So there's a Beatles band called the Fab Faux. They were around for years, right? Okay, they don't right. look like the Beatles at all. It's a five piece band, but they play great. And that's that. Okay. And then if you're going to be a tribute band, you really do need to, um, I don't know, like, um, you know, seem like you're the band, you know what I mean? You, you kind of have to lend to it. So Joe looking, you know, pulling off the look like Freddie. Is, is very very big for people so now you're putting the music and the, the yes. vocals, right so now you're standing in the crowd going oh it kind of, this kind of looks like it too and it's it's, it's the facade right yes steve's got, the, steve's got the brian may guitar and the wig and the, the yes. outfit and john's got blonde hair and a striped shirt and brian maybe by the way is genius brian maybe yeah. <laughs> genius genius now, i am i'm john <laughs> i'm john decoy i didn't hear that one okay right. and you have almost freddie is Joe's nickname at all times. And John, we just call Rick Taylor. Okay. I don't know if you remember Rick Taylor. Anyway, but, uh, you know, so so you have this facade of a look. If you're in the 15th row, 20th row, and you squint your eyes, you could feel like you're at a queen show. And that's what we want to imply, don't we, right? And but, it works. It tricks me. And I believe I mean, it. And I love Every it. Every member of the band doesn't have something that they are going to be this guy 100%, right? Yeah, right? So this guy's like, he's just not going to be, right? Yeah, then right. Then it's me. When I joined the band, I just have to admit it. I admit it all the time. When I joined the band, I just went, hey, just telling you right now, I'm not wearing gym shorts and tube socks on stage. <laughs> right? And I'll, I'll, I'll try to, like, you know, I made a bunch of his outfits from the 70s. I wore all this. Any company, I, I made them. I got them made or I made them myself or whatever. And I would do that and just try to imply that I was the early version of John Deacon. And then after a while, it just becomes what it is, right? Okay. We're almost queen. We all know it. We want to go on there. We want to emanate. But at the same time, we're there to play and give this experience and give an energy. And that is where Almost Queen comes in. I feel the energy. That's where Almost Queen comes in. We have an energy. And I've played in all these bands my whole life. And when Almost Queen gets on stage, I never have to turn around and go, hey, man, the gig's like this or this is like this. Let's just go out there and give it. Not in 17 years have I had to, like, coach someone. To be like, Come on, man, let's get out there and do Everyone in that band brings. Is that right? That's brings the energy. Yeah, I thought maybe you guys give each other a pep talk or something, but not needed. Um, there are pep talks, but it, it's not about energy. And we and mentioned this on the phone with each other, you and I. I've, I've seen you guys enough times to know that some crowds, with all due respect, are just bad. And I don't, you know, different. 
I, <laughs> see, you're taking the high road with everything. Any crowd, all right, so, you, you know. This, I don't want to see people sitting there like they're at a golf match doing a clap like this. I want to see people standing, dancing. I want to see arms going. I want to feel the energy. With your music and the, and the crowd, there's a synergy. There's, a, there's a, an event that happens. And right. when you go to a concert and I see you guys pumping out the great music, the, the power of the speakers throwing back these waves of energy, the lyrics, I hear the 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 bass guitar in my ear. I feel it on my skin. And then I look at the crowd and they're like, and that only happens a couple of times. But I'm just saying it's it, it's it must be hard for you guys. Um, so I describe it this way. It's a pretty big, <laughs> pretty easy. Uh, when, when we go on stage, it's a tennis match. <laughs> and we come out, we serve the ball. <laughs> Are you going to hit it back? <laughs> okay, you didn't hit it back. We're going to hit it again. We'll lob it to you this time, right? Okay. And then all of a sudden I see someone swing and they, okay, that's okay. And we just keep pushing that energy and we keep pushing it. And then they lob the ball back. And that's how a rock show works. We, we send the ball to you. You send it back to us. We send it back to you. We send it back to us. Now we're just lobbying, right? We're just going back and forth and going back and forth, right? And that's how a show should work is that we give you energy, you give us energy, and then it just escalates and becomes. Like, so as many times we've come out on stage in the first three, four songs, everyone's just sitting there and, you know, that's great. They're enjoying yeah, it. Yeah. We know it and we're having fun and it's cool. We know we're getting to people and then there's four songs more in and then halfway through the set, those people like this are now standing up going, Ooh. oh my God, oh my God. All and right. then that run of the last eight, 10 songs or whatever, they're, now they're on the tables dancing. I mean, we had a conga right. line last week. Conga <laughs> line. I'm talking like 250 people on the conga line. We're like at five o'clock in the afternoon. That's what Queen music does is it just... So you get high off that, right? You must. The chills. If I don't have yeah. the chill, I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's great to see crowds react and stuff like that. Like, But I the way it, you said it, there's a formula. The way you just told me, it seems like there's an arc and a formula, but that's not always the case. Is there is that like the average? Or have you been to a lot of shows where you just can't do it? You wait, can have wait, Jesus come down and he couldn't do it. Sometimes. There is sometimes. Um, it's a little, uh, again, queen music. It's just the end of it. People come up to us. Oh my God, you guys are so great. Yeah. The first words out of my mouth. It's it's queen music. We have nothing yeah. to do with it. No, no, no. But, but you guys, we have nothing to do with it. Do you understand? <laughs> we just, we're lucky enough to be able to play this music. It's very complicated. We're lucky enough to sing these vocals. That's what we're happy. We're, we're happy to be doing this. Like it makes us happy to see everybody else go nuts. Yeah. Over it. Yeah. It's really, really great. But there's times we'll come out on stage and bang, they're standing there having it. There's the walk to the stage and the intro goes on and the place just erupts. So we know that that energy is there right then and there. That's what it was at the Stone Pony. It was there, baby. I uh, we knew it. We knew it. Believe me. Believe me. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like, you know, you're coming through that little side door. You feel it. You I know feel it. it. You see. I, I know. <laughs> I've been in that crowd so many times. You know what I mean? I've been yeah, 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 yeah. Waiting for this band to come out and you get that energy. You're sitting there like, oh, I can't believe this is going to happen. I'm like, you know. And that's the energy we get sometimes. It's like, as soon as that little side door opens and they know we're coming in just to go, ah, and I'm like, here it comes, man. Ooh, I love it. It's a great ball. Stone Pony is fantastic, man. And we wound up playing there and selling it out a few times that one time they moved it to a bigger venue down the block called the Paramount. We sold that out. And then she calls me and she goes, let's, let's, let's do the Stone Pony summer stage. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's 4,500 tickets we'd have to sell. I believe in you, Randy. And I went, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll try it then, right? Sold out, sold One out. One of the baby. only two bands to sell out the whole summer, us. I know. Unbelievable, right? And like, 
you know, there's 4,500 people going crazy. And then there's another four or 5,000 outside of that. So it's just like the whole town gets in on that. So that's a really fantastic. And I'm going to be there this September. Good, good, good. We have a little surprise, which I'm not going to tell you. And I'm going to tell everyone, Randy, I know that guy. He's my buddy. I'm going to say well, whether you like it or not. You don't know him. You just spoke <laughs> to him. Ah, can't, can't. No, but I'm going to lie and say I know him. That's what you I'm going to You can lie all you want. I'll back <laughs> well, you up. Well, this Thursday, this is yeah. going to air uh, uh, the week before you guys appear at mm-hmm. the um, party on the patio at the Mohegan Sun. Now, Looks I'm telling great. you, I've seen many bands there. The crowd is fantastic. Back in Black there. were just there last week. The right. place rocked. You guys are going to rock that place. Do you have any we memories really of... Uh, Oh, oh we played there. We played there years ago. I think two years ago, maybe three years ago. Yeah, at least. And we had played there for a good four years in a row or something like that. And uh, there was times we did three sets, right? We, we, we tend to not do that now. It's so uh, difficult to play these songs, you know, so like 90 minutes, two hours. We're like, you know, but we were playing like three sets and we were playing some really deep cut songs, deep you know, and, you know, and like, this crowd was just happening every song, every like, like we actually love Pennsylvania. A lot. Oh! We do. Yeah. They just go nuts. Like every show we play, Pennsylvania is just happening all the time. And Wilkes-Barre is just, it's crazy. It's crazy. So we're, we're super excited to play the patio again. It's oh, been a few great. years. So I know when we come back, we're going to, we'll have a good reception. Right. I, I, I know that. So. I think you're being sincere and sincere too. You're not just saying that if you were in Florida, you would oh, no. not have said that. I wouldn't even say it. I'm, I'm like the most honest person on the planet. So the me. Pennsylvania crowd is uh, unique. They just, uh, they're excited. They are. Oh, yeah. I like it. It's well, great. I'm going to be there and I'm going to love it. Um, uh, one of the final things I wanted to ask you was, um, the, the how does it work? How does it work with the legalities of this? Is it the venue that has to, like, if I just started a band to cover, say, the Beatles, who who pays royalties for such things? Like um, usually, it's in the venue. To be honest, they they pay like a a portion a month or something like that. And it's, so it has uh, nothing to do with you guys. You don't have to. No, the the most it has to do with us is if get this if uh, you know say you start a Kiss band right and Kiss doesn't want you to do it, they'll stop you from doing it. Right. So it's happened with some artists. I did not know them. that. So what okay. is your brush with Queen so far? Have you had? It? I'm very happy to say that I believe I can say this, that they are super proud of us and super. They're happy. About, I, I believe they're happy about the way we've treat. We've treated this. Um, we donate all of our merchandise money to the Mercury Phoenix trust. And that was something we started to do. I don't know, seven, eight years ago, 10, maybe even longer right now. And it was just something that we felt we wanted to do. Right. Like we don't make a dollar off of our t-shirts. Meanwhile, we have six t-shirts, 12 stickers, nine buttons, drumsticks, guitar picks. We have all this stuff for sale. Um, we even sell some kind of like, you know, the hats or the glasses and we just sell all the stuff. And then boom, check goes to the Mercury. Is Phoenix. that right? They started to real like see it. And I started getting messages from like, you know, Emma Beach. And I get a message from Emma Beach. And I know who Emma Beach is. I'm a huge Queen fan. Emma Beach's father is Jim Beach. Jim Beach has been the longtime manager of, of that. So she kind of runs the Mercury Phoenix Trust. And I get handwritten letters from her. Thank you guys so much. And blah, blah, blah. They oh, put everything. Nice. Every time we make a donation, they'll put it on the website. Almost Queen raised this money for this. And, you know, we do a Freddy for a Day show. Right. So every September 5th, the whole world celebrates Freddy for a Day. 
America has no idea what's going on. Just <laughs> we so gotta get with huge, the program. There are huge concerts in like um, what are those? Uh, is this near the concerts? time of his death? Then when did they do this? When is like Hard Rock Cafe? No, just over the last like ten years. It's okay. really come to you know, but like South America and Hard Rock's everywhere and Australia and everywhere. It's Friday for a day. People come in a yellow jacket or a mustache, and everyone just celebrating clean. Oh, that's and, cool. Some tribute bands. We started doing our own Freddy for a Day show in New York City, the New York City Freddy for a Day show. And from that, that we would start doing donations. We started getting guests to come up, and like Lydia Chris, who was married to Peter Chris from Kiss, was a photographer. She shot Queen at the Garden, so we she donated a photo of Freddy. We raised money to that. Um, Randy Jones, who was from the Village People, shared a birthday weekend with Freddy, and they would have parties together. So we had him come up one year. And he spoke for about 10 minutes about the parties and what it was like. And so we're just incorporating all this stuff. And one year now I get Mick Rock, who was the photographer for Queen. And he took like the famous diamond shot. He took a lot of shots. Mick Rock, best photographer ever, right? All right. And I become friends with him. He starts donating his prints so we can raise money. They all see what we're doing. And they're like, look, like no other band, you know, is going out of their way. We're not asking for anything. I never asked anything of them. It was just what we felt would be cool to give back to Queen because we feel they're allowing us to do this. They, they don't they don't have to let us do this, right? But yeah, I didn't but, realize like, that. I mean, excellent. There's like, a respect. We really, well, we love Queen. <clears throat> we love Queen. We'll talk to people for four hours about Queen. Joe and I, for years, we've traveled together and we get off stage and get in the car and, and pop into Queen. And drive and go to the hotel and listen to like we're just nuts about Queen and <laughs> it's, it's this love and I know Brian May has recognized us a little bit. Um, yeah, years ago he would put our tour dates on his website. Oh, I know, interesting. I know people who work in his office and they would just tell me things that made me really, really happy or whatever. Like Brian likes you guys and oh, that's excellent. You look great. Blah blah. So we we hear little things and we we know we know that we're not taking advantage of anything and this right. any tribute band to turn around and give their merchandise to a, to a thing. It just gives me the chills. We love it. I don't, I don't care about selling, you know, selling t-shirts. It's great. People come to the show and you know, I want to get a t-shirt. Great. That money goes there. So we're, we're really super happy to, to give back. That's awesome. I mean, yeah. so I didn't realize that. So if, if John Deacon said, uh, let's start a legal precedent let's let's end yeah. almost queen let's all get together I'm, I, I don't want randy greg doing this anymore they could do that yeah he is scared because i'm showing him up no, I'm <laughs> I could never I could never i can never be in that guy's world i'm telling you that guy's fantastic but uh yeah so with I, you with you and your guitarist um and joe russo from a non-musician i need to know this is it again i'm going back to the question of is it the art or the artist it, you guys, to my ears, sound as good as Queen. So, therefore, I, I know you're only copying what they have done, but um, does that any way? Oh, God. Here's what I'm saying from a non musician. If Brian May is such a great guitarist, why could your guitarist do that and convince me? Okay. Um, why could you convince me that you're John Deacon if he's so good? Okay, so I played with Angel. I played with Dee Snyder. I played with Thin Lizzy, right? Now I could play Phil, Phil Lynott's bass lines. I could play them. He's a great bass player. Right. Um, 
but I didn't write them. Or I, I understand that you're not creating them, but if someone were to I didn't create that. Can we create? Yes, we're all on a level that we can play and we can create and this and that, but there are just some others that create more and create better. And those are the people we shoot to be. So it's, it makes sense that we can play that stuff. I grew up going, I want to play the millionaire waltz on bass and I'm 15, but I can't, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I'm 21. I'm struggling. And I'm like, I got it. I got it. This is what we struggle to do. We, we want to be like them. Like everyone loves these bands. And oh, I love this guy. We want to be them. Don't let anyone tell you different. As a musician, we want to do what they do. As good as they do it, I want to be on that level. And when I get on that level, I'm still not going to be able to create like Brian May did. Right. And that's what I'm wondering if the four of you got together and said, let's just have a little fun. Let's let's do a song that will convince the world that this is Queen. I, you know, I'm just curious if you could. So we've been asked many times, why don't we write a song? Right. OK, that, that's that could be a new Queen song. I bet you can. No. Some bands have done it. Some tribute bands have done it where they're like, hey, at our merch table, there's a, a CD single of a song we wrote. And that's a fantastic idea. People have asked us. The funny thing is, is if you got us four together, I don't think us writing a song would come out sounding like queen that's that's the thing now we played queen but if that was your goal i mean if that was your aim i mean if we had to really sink in and try to come up with something queen-esque yeah maybe but like uh you know um as far as what everybody does individually is we're all on different pages right like i'm uh like steve's like a he's like a for the lesser no, like a jam band guy, you know, he okay. loves fish right. and he loves, you know, but he's very musical as well. And he loves all these different bands and stuff. And he's got a big, he's got a little punk streak in him and stuff like that. Right. <laughs> and got Joe, who's very into like the Beatles and like a uh, very like, you know, McCartney, very polished kind of sound type of thing. Klaatu is another band he loves. And it's just that range. You got John who's into, I don't know, he's into different stuff. I don't even know. <laughs> Yeah, me, who's was like a glam punk rocker, right? So we're all in different worlds a little bit, but, you know, our common denominator is playing Queen songs. So it, I, I raised the question myself that if we were to get together and write a song, would it come out like Queen? And if it did, I'd be super proud of it. And I'd probably put it on the merch table and donate the proceeds. Ooh, <laughs> man. So, you know, so, um, you know, it, it's always a question. It's always a question, but... Uh, I want to I want to answer your question about some tribute bands as opposed to other tribute bands. You keep bring, you kept bringing that up before about the level, right, of of some tribute bands. And I think when people go in and say we're going to do a tribute band, their main focus is to completely encapture everything about it. The the, the way the video looks, their dressing, the, the way I move, blah, blah blah blah. When almost Queen got into the studio, our first thing was let's attack this music. First and foremost. Music, vocals, music, vocals, music, vocals. Don't worry about everything else. And I think we wanted to become a band, first and foremost. And when Almost Queen gets on a stage, it is a band. It's kind of like an explosive band. It kind of is. And I hate to say it. I hate to sound boastful. I really do. Um, I played in all these bands. And I kind of know what it feels like to get on stage with certain people. And it explodes, right? I mean, I got on stage with Thin Lizzy. And here's Scott, uh, Scott Coram, John Sykes, and Michael Lee on drums. Okay. And it exploded. And I'm a part of that, right? And I feel what that's like. And when Almost Queen gets on a stage, we explode as a band. And we perform as a band. We're not a tribute band. We're not trying to, we're not stuck at this 
thing here where we're trying to be this. We've gone here. We want to be a band. And when we when the mics go on, we want to explode. And we want people like you who go, I feel it right here. I, the energy. And that was our main focus is to become a band that can perform this music where you have everyone else who's like just under par about it. And they're not focused on being a, a five-piece band or four-piece band. And we did certain things in Almost Queen that Queen didn't do, like little tiny things, little chord here live, a little boom back there that just lifts this and lifts that. Not that we have the power to change Queen's music, right? We didn't change any chords or let's do this. Oh, Freddie should have <laughs> written it this way. No, yeah, that, yeah. live coming across this little tricks we use, little vocal things that we back up that they didn't do live, right? Little, I'm going to like, in, when we do spread your wings, I actually, at the end of the guitar solo, I actually play a harmony on the bass that coincides with what Steve's doing. So these are things that are not done live by other, you know what I mean? Like I can do this here and I can fill in the gap here and we fill in this gap and we just produce more music and therefore just more sound, more band, more energy, more everything. It's just this focus on, on being in a room and playing. Not, oh, but I, I, you know, I'm Tom Petty and I don't have my top hat. Yeah. So you capture the audible aspects first and then, you know, hey, we'll work on the uh, the, the visuals later. So yeah. to speak. we want to be a band that when you walk in, even if you don't know who Queen is, you're like, God, this band, they're like explosive. That's what we wanted to be. And that's what we are. And after 17 years, it's like almost autopilot now. You know, it's funny. It. Like you, you ask like a big artist, right? A big songwriting artist. Hey, what's your favorite song that you've you've written? And you've heard it before. Oh man, my songs are like my children, right? You know, I can't, I can't choose which song yeah. I love or whatever. And people ask me, what's your favorite song to play by, by Queen? And I'm like, you know, they're kind of like my stepchildren, these songs, you know, like <laughs> after 17 years, you know, like a song comes on the radio and you feel like, you're like, Oh, I play that every week. And it's almost this connection. Like it's, that's almost my song in a way, you know, because I've been playing it so long, but there's no, there's no picking what song's better and what's for song. you? It should be tie your mother down, take you back to that five year old. Yeah, but it's, just, <laughs> it's true. It's true. You know, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, like a run of my life because tie your mother down is so early in the set at times. So it's kind of like going through my life. That's what oh, I say. Right. Because every song at one point was my favorite song. Just end end of story. You know, like I mean, I just. I just grew up on Queen and every album and, you know, Joe and I talk all the time about really deep cut songs that like, you know, we wonder if people would even know at times, you know, so, uh, but that was always a big thing we were proud of over the years. People would come up and be like, listen, I knew this song and that song, right? And when I came here, I wound up knowing 10, 12 songs. Yeah, you guys get into some deeper cuts. Deep, oh, and, and that's I very home, impressive. Yeah, I went home and I bought these three albums and we're like, great, right? I mean... Uh -huh. Roger Taylor even knows, like, you know, they, everyone in Queen knows what's going on over here. Like um, one of our techs speaks to Roger often and he sent him an overhead view of one of our shows. We had like eight, 9,000 people at this one place and he sends it to Roger Taylor. And Roger's like, really? Is that the almost Queen gig? He goes, yeah, this is tonight. And Roger Taylor's like, thank you. Isn't that great, right? Because there's eight to 9,000 people that Queen can't get over here. Right? So we're doing it. And I know this, right? This is a crazy thing. Those people probably see record sales, you know, uh, or like online sales or downloads in areas that we're playing. So it's it's helping them. It's to Queen, I believe they're and you like. I oh. wouldn't have guessed that reaction from Roger either. I mean, you you don't know if he's going to say thank you or he's impressed 
or he's a little offended. But for you to hear thank you, you I, probably wouldn't have guessed that and what an honor. I, it's an unbelievable honor. Um, I can't tell you how much I love Queen and like it is a great honor. You know, I have to think uh, Roger, Roger put together the Queen extravaganza a few years ago. Okay. And like, like an amazing, amazing band, amazing reconstruction of, and this produced Mark Martell, who's unbelievable vocalist, piano player. They used him in Bohemian Rhapsody to sing some lines that they couldn't extract from certain, certain live concerts, whatever they called this singer, Mark Martell, to come in and sing in the movie. So this line's in the movie, that's not Freddie, it's Mark. He's fantastic. So Roger put this unbelievable 10 piece band together, right? That's just unstoppable. And again, I don't know how to say it, but I guess there is, you know, there is this crazy thing going on that we do this with four people. Right? Yeah. So, so it's lightning be, in a bottle. But like, we could be offending or, you know, you know what I mean? Like, oh, well, you know, like there's these other bands that have all these multiple members. We're doing it with four people. And I think that's the shock value is when people hear us sing, they're like, there's just four of you, you know, like. And, yeah, because it comes out layered and produced. It sounds yeah. great. I mean, we're on top of each other. Everyone's singing more than they should, you know, yeah. like, but we just, we take it on, man. And, and there is, there is a pan on our backs that we can do every night. And I'm, I'm just happy and proud of it. And I just, you know, for, for us and for me, it's, it's always been this. I love Queen. You should love Queen too. So after the gig, everyone's like, oh my God, I loved it. I'm going to go buy a record. Great. Because I love Queen and you should. We didn't think, oh, in years, they're going to make a movie about Queen. Yeah. yeah. Gonna, we, we didn't think about that stuff. Or you're not we, being forced to sell it. It's in your soul. It's in your it's, passion. It's everywhere. It was started that, in our man. hearts. Yeah, yeah. It was started in our hearts and it's still in our hearts today. And that probably explains your success then. I love it, man. That's, I mean, that's you know, yeah, we kept going forward and going forward and going forward. You know, it was, a, it was, a, it was, a, it was a labor of love for so many years and it still is, you know, and it could be seen, you know, it could be deemed a business and it could be deemed this, but, but we don't ever walk on stage going, Oh, we got to go on stage now. Yeah. Right. Oh we're God. We, we get to play the greatest songs. We're raring to go. You know? So you're not going to the factory, right? Right. <laughs> oh, man. Well, before I let you go, you've given me so much time. I have to talk about what's behind me and what's behind you. What's with the Star Wars connection? I'm a huge Star Wars fan. <laughs> I have uh, 17 Star Wars tattoos. Um, my house. Come on, is... we got to see them. We got to see one. Let's see something unique there. Come on. want to see them? We got to right. <laughs> see one of those tattoos. Yeah. They're on my legs, so I have to move my computer. Oh, okay. I'll show you. I'll show you. <laughs> Ah, all right. That's excellent. All right. I don't know how much of it you can see. But... Oh my goodness. That's very detailed and, and, uh, yeah. and, and, and very diverse. I saw Luke and I saw a, a bunch of backgrounds from various movies. Yeah. So, uh, my right leg is the light side and my left leg is all the dark side characters. So, but I'm a huge, huge Star Wars fan ever since the movie came out. And, uh, in fact, uh, maybe at the Stone Pony, there might be some kind of Star Wars surprise. Oh, um, I got a little glimpse of that at the Sherman Theater show. I did see an R2-D2 look like come out. Yeah, you might have seen it, but you'll see more and you'll see it presented even better. And it's just going to be such an epic moment. I want Star, I want like Lucasfilm to go, what's going on with this Queen band that they keep having droids come up? So that's where I'm at. Uh, that's you want to be I'm legally at. approached, right? Oh, I want to be <laughs> I want to be like the official band of Star Wars. That's what I want. To be. 
And of course, that ties into the song Bicycle Race, which rocks one of my favorite songs of all time, getting back to this album, jazz. And that's exactly the the catalyst of what we're doing is that song. So you'll see. I don't want to spoil it. Will Uh, that be at the Mohegan? Everyone's going to come see it because now no one knows what I'm talking about and they're too interested. So everyone has to go. Will that Uh, be at the Mohegan and Wilkes-Barre or no? Well, I think we're going to... I don't know. Um, these droids live in certain areas that <laughs> okay. they can show up, they can not show up. There's three droids going on so far, so I don't want to get too too into it. But uh, I do have plans for a Stone Pony um, presentation, if you will. All right. I love it. Well, folks, here's my final uh, plea for you guys out there. If you're in the world and you're saying, I haven't seen Almost Queen, go see them, number one. You can't see Queen anymore. Even if you see them with Paul Rogers, that was an, an experiment. That's not Queen. Even if you see them with Adam Lambert, you got the original members except Freddie, but it's not Queen. You guys do Queen better than Queen, and there's never going to be another Queen. So you, know, you guys are the next best thing. It, it, it makes sense, right? Um, I did see Queen with Paul Rogers, and I thought, you know. He's great. I'm a big Bad Company fan, but that's not Queen. Fantastic. And that's fine. In the end, Roger and Brian want to get out and play, right? So they get Paul Rogers to do this because I know they're a musician and they want to get out and play. So I was never the hater. Like, oh, how can you go out and do this without this one? I completely understand. And you were in Queen. You wrote all these songs. You deserve to get out and play, right? And then they do the Adam Lambert thing. And I understand that. He's got a great range and it's got a style. And maybe he crosses over into a younger generation and that helps and this and that. But again, Roger and Brian have been musicians their whole life and they want to get out and play because that's what we all do. And if they were in a band called Queen and they can go out and call it Queen and tour the world, then that's what they can do. That's I the get it. But why can't the world do this? Why can't the world get May, get Roger and get you and Joe? That would be the closest thing to Queen ever. I'm telling you, that's a fact. That why. would be amazing. But why this won't that why. happen? This is why. Because the members in Queen, especially John Deacon, that's why he doesn't do it, feel that what they did with Queen... It would be blasphemy? It just can't be touched, right? And if they did bring on someone like Joseph Russo, right? feel blasphemy. It'd be really good for the crowd. Oh, my God, look, there's Roger and, you know, Roger and Brian. And look, this, I look up, right? But now, what does that say for them, right? We've, we've, I guess. We were in, like, the best band ever, and now we're going to maybe try to, like, pull the wool over someone's eyes thinking that that's what... It, they're just going to go forward, right? Yeah, I guess there's a little blasphemy there, just a little. A little Maybe a little if he didn't bit. dress up like him, if he just came out with the long hair again and did it. Uh, you know, I, you know, it, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's a funny thing for them because they are going to have haters. Even Queen is going to have haters. Sure, when, everybody has haters. You see it everywhere. Oh, it's not Freddie. It's this. It's that. We get that all the time. It's not Freddie. Yeah, we we know it's not Freddie. Thanks for pointing that out. We know that, Freddie, that, right? Would say and, that. and that's just the way it is when you when you're in a band. You you don't want to step back. I so I see what they're doing one thousand percent. Us on the other hand have no choice but to nail it. Where Roger and Brian get to play the songs and have fun. And if it's this is the way it comes out, that's the way it comes out because they are not putting themselves up against what they used to do. You understand? Yes, I totally get it. It makes sense. You have to be like this. No, but almost Queen has to be like that. You understand? We have to look and act and sound like Queen because that's what people are expecting of us. And we're not Brian May and Roger Taylor, so we don't call the shots. So we have to come across and do it as close to the original as possible. 
That's the difference between us and them. And that does make sense to me. You educated me again, and I appreciate oh, that. I'm going to end with We'll see you this uh, Thursday, uh, which, you know, after this airs at Mohegan Sun. You're the guy to look for. You're the guy who gave us your time. We appreciate that. I'm going to impress you with these two songs. Okay. The best cheap trick song is She's Tight. Okay. She's Tight, I love. But the song that no one ever plays by Queen, which I think is their top 10, and I don't know why, you can tell me this before we end, is Doing All Right. Why doesn't anyone play that? That song rips. I love the guitar. It comes in, it steals the show, and then it leaves. And it comes back, and it leaves. Why doesn't anyone do Doing All Right? It's like it never was written. We did it years and years and years ago. We did Doing All Right. There were songs we were doing, like Father Father to Son off of Queen 2, that we thought was a great song, and it wouldn't go over live. People don't know it. Okay. And we were pulling out these deep cut songs and we did doing all right years and years ago. And it was just, you know, it didn't hit it didn't a lot go of over good. You got to understand, especially years and years ago, people come to see our band. We're just looking for the hits, you know, I, but I, I totally understand that. We're I a band it. that want to do the hits and we want to incorporate a deep cut here and a deep yes. cut there. Especially if we come to, a, we come to Indianapolis, right. And we play a show, we do the hit list. Right. And then the next time we come back, We'll change a couple of those hits to these. And then the next time we come back, we'll take a couple of those out and we'll put deep cuts in. And then the next time we come back, we switch it around. We just keep switching around. So when we come back, A, we don't want anyone to be like, oh, I saw almost Queen again, same set list. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, drives yeah. us crazy. We want to have some, uh, you know, flavor for everybody or whatever. Uh, so when we come back, we try to turn everyone. That stifles uh, your creativity too. Yeah, we try to turn everyone into like, you know, here's a deep cut, here's this and here's that. So, uh, um, but is doing all right that good? Trying to bring that across to people, we want to expand everybody's, you know, um, you know, catalog for Queen. You know, that's our whole point. The way we got our front of house engineer saw us play at BB King's and came up and goes, "I want to do sound for you guys." This week, I bought seven records. I love this, and I want to do this. And he's been with us for fifteen years now. I love it. You know, yeah. Rant. Randy, we appreciate you. Uh, we can't wait to see you this Thursday. Everything's cool. You gave us your time, your energy, your stories. I love you, man. I want to get back to doing all right. I'm sorry. So we dropped it, and the movie came out, right? And what's in the movie? Doing all right. So we incorporate it back in our set. And we, we, uh, we whoa, do whoa, the whole. Whoa. I'm embarrassed to say I haven't seen the movie yet. I didn't know that's in the movie. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. Um, uh, the movie is fun to see. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to give you. My real reaction is really fun to see. I cried at the end. I'll cry if you show me a picture of Freddie Mercury. I, I just cry, right? I love. Um, it wasn't very uh, based factually. I heard that, and that's why I Excuse will not me. see it. That's why I will not see Excuse it. Excuse me, I don't understand. I know Queen's story, and it's fantastic. And I don't know why some Hollywood executive thought we'll just change this and change it. I don't want even to like and the truth is better than the fiction. I know that's why I didn't see it. I think so. And it was just, it was confusing to me. And in the end, I felt the people who know their past are confused and the people who are drawn into this movie and fall in love with Cooney and go discover their past are going to go. I, I don't understand the movie. And then there's the people who don't go and rediscover Queen. They've seen the movie and they think they know everything. Yes. You know, and they come up, oh, yeah, but Freddie did that. No, that, that didn't happen that way. What do you mean it was in the movie? Freddie didn't try out in a, in a parking lot. 
I know. It's, front of these two, it, it, they were friends, and this happened, and that. So it was just a little confusing. The most confusing part for me was uh, at one moment, it's a black screen, and it flashes 1980, and they're in a studio, and Brian is showing everyone the song, boom, boom, bra, boom, boom, bra. Like, I want to incorporate the, the, the whole crowd to do a song. Which is and true. Freddie, and then Freddie walks into the studio with a mustache on. It's 1980. Why are you doing We Will Rock You? Which was on an album in 1977. That's what I don't say. So in 1980, you're going over how to record this song that was out three years okay, ago. Obvious, so, blatant error. Obvious. Why? Weird, how could that happen? Just don't even flash 1980. Like, why yeah, are you doing that? simple. Just little things like, and, and like, for a yeah. billion dollar movie, can you give the guy like contacts for his eyes, please? Like just little things that, that burn me or whatever, you know? So, but I'm very happy that that movie did well. I am from the bottom of my heart. I am. I've loved queen my whole life. My whole life. I just thought people should love queen. They're just fantastic. And now everyone loves queen. Yeah. And that reached so, a whole new, uh, uh that's generation what it did of people. Oh boy, did it! You know, did you so, feel an uptick in sales, or is that a, a hard question to answer? I'm so sorry. It was overwhelming. Uh, at the time, I wow. Was also, at the time, I was also the booking agent for the band as well, just wearing all the hats. And uh, when the trailer came out, my work day went into 17 hours. Get out of here! I'm not even joking. Everybody in the world calling and trying to book the band, and you know, a lot of uh, you know weird requests and small bars on that. Okay. But it was just, it was over, <laughs> over, overwhelming. That's and unbelievable. Was, yeah. And look, you know, we were doing good for years. We were selling out shows here and there and this and that, but the percentage of sellouts skyrocketed for us. And it got to a point where only a couple shows for that year didn't sell out. We're like, it was just the opposite of the spectrum and stuff. But uh, I've always said it. I was very happy, you know, that we had 16 years to rehearse for this. And when that movie came out, people flocked to go see a Queen band, and we were there. And we're just happy to be part of it, man. We really are. That's awesome. Totally. And we're going to see you on Thursday, and thanks for your time. You're very welcome. And keep up the great work. And um, WNEP TV yeah. is proud with Mr. Curiosity to interview the guy from the band himself, Randy Gregg and a, uh, a deep history in rock and roll that you've uh, you've uh, shared with us. We appreciate it. The pleasure and honor is all mine, Joe. Curiosity. What are you so curious about? Everything. Mr. Curiosity.